Section three of the Broad Highway by Geoffrey Farnell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Leader. Book one, Chapter six. What befell me at the White Hart. When a man has experienced some great and totally unexpected reverse of fortune, has been swept from one plane of existence to another, that he should fail at once to recognize the full magnitude of that change, is but natural, for his faculties must of necessity be numbed more or less by its very suddenness. Yesterday I had been reduced from affluence to poverty with an unexpectedness that had dazed me for the time being, and, from the poverty of an hour ago, I now found myself reduced to an utter destitution, without the wherewithal to pay for the meanest night's lodging. And contrasting the careless ease of a few days since with my present lamentable situation, I fell into a gloomy meditation, and the longer I thought it over, the more dejected I became. To be sure, I might apply to Sir Richard for assistance, but my pride revolted at even the thought, more especially at such an early stage. Moreover, I had determined beforehand to walk my appointed road unaided from the first. From these depressing thoughts I was presently aroused by a loud, rough voice at no great distance, to which, though I had been dimly conscious of it for some time, I had before paid no attention. Now, however, I raised my eyes from the spot upon the floor where they had rested hitherto, and fixed them upon the speaker. He was a square-shouldered, bullet-headed fellow, evidently held in much respect by his companions, for he occupied the head of the table, and I noticed that whenever he spoke the others held their peace, and hung upon the words with an appearance of much respect. "'Yes, sirs,' says I," he began louder than before, and with a flourish of his long-stemmed pipe, "'Yes, sirs, Tom Cragg's my name, and Croggy my nature. Oh, I be hard, sirs. Devilish hard, and uncommon rocky. Here's a face as like Squad Knox, I says. Why, when I fought Crib Burke of Bristol, he broke his and again my jaw. So he did, and I scarce knowed he had hit me, till I see him open with the pain of it. Come, sirs, says I, who'll give me a black eye? A fiver's all I ask. Well, up comes a young buck, ready and willing. Tom, says he, I'll take two flaps at that flagger at a yarn for seven guineas. Come, what do you say? I says, done, says I. So my fine gentleman lays by his hat and cane, strips off his right-hand glove, and even back lets fly at me. Bang comes his fist against my jaw, and there's my gentleman a-dabbing at his broken knuckles with his handkerchief. Come, my lord, says I. Fair is fair. Take your other whack. "'Damnation!' says he. "'Take your body and go to the devil,' says he. "'I thought you was flesh and blood, and not cast iron. "'Craggy, my lord,' says I, gathering up the rhino. "'Crag is my name, and craggy by nature, my lord,' says I. Hereupon ensued a roar of laughter, with much slapping of thighs and stamping of feet, while the bullet-headed man solemnly emptied his tankard, which was the signal for two or three of those nearest to vie for its possession during which Tom Cragg sucked dreamily at his pipe and stared placidly up at the ceiling. 
now tom says a tall bony individual chiefly remarkable in possessing but one eye and that so extremely pale and watery as to give one the idea that it was very much overworked and now tom said he setting down the refilled tankard at the great man's elbow with a triumphant flourish tell us how you shook hands with the prince regent ah tell us chimed the rest well said the bullet-headed man stooping to blow the froth from his ale it was arter i beat jack nolan o brummingham the prince he come a-runnin to me he did as i set in my corner a-workin at a loose tusk tom he says tom you be a wonder i done jack nolan a proper i think your ainness says i tom says he with tears in his eyes you have and if i had my way says he i'd make you prime minister to-morrow he says and slapped me on the back he did with his merry own hand and likewise gave me this ere pin saying which he pointed to a flaming diamond horseshoe which he wore stuck through his neckerchief the stones were extremely large and handsome looking very much out of place on the fellow's rough person and seemed in some part to bear out his story though indeed as regarded his association with the prince regent whose tastes were at all times peculiar to say the least and whose love for the fancy was notorious i thought it on the whole very probable for despite craggy's words foolishly blatant though they sounded there was about him in his low retreating brow his small deep-set eyes his great square jowl and heavy chin a certain air there was no mistaking i also noticed that the upper half of one ear was unduly thick and swollen which is a mark i believe of the professional pugilist alone tom cried the one-eyed man what's all this we year to tell jarroway o' swansea being knocked out in five rounds by this ere uh, lord vibbit up in london vibbit repeated cragg frowning into his tankard i haven't heard of no vibbit neither lord earl nor duke come tom coaxed the other everybody's here to buck vibbit him they calls the fight in baronite if said cragg rolling his bullet head if you was to ask me who put ted jarraway to sleep i should answer you sir maurice vibbert commonly called buck vibbert and it took ten rounds to do it not five as may be expected at this mention of my cousin's name i pricked up my ears and what's all this bout him puttin out tom cragg in three at this there was a sudden silence and all eyes were turned towards the speaker a small red-headed fellow with a truculent eye calm said he blowing out a cloud of tobacco smoke in three rounds what do you say to that now calm cragg had started up in his chair and now sat scowling at his inquisitor open-mouthed and in the hush i could hear the ticking of the clock in the corner and the crackle of the logs upon the hearth then all at once cragg's pipe shivered to fragments on the floor and he leapt to his feet in one stride as it seemed he reached the speaker who occupied the corner opposite mine but even as he raised his fist he checked himself before the pocket pistol which the other held leveled across the table calm calm none of that said the red-headed man his eye more truculent than ever i ain't a fightin cove myself and i don't want no trouble all i asks is what about buck vibbert putting out tom cragg in three rounds that's a civil question ain't it what do you say now come i says cried tom cragg flourishing a great fist in the air i says as he done it on a foul 
and he smote the table a blow that set the glasses ringing. "'Done it on a foul!' cried three or four voices. "'On a foul!' repeated Cragg. "'Think again,' said the red-headed man. "'Twere said as it was a very clean knockout.' "'And I says it were done on a foul!' reiterated Cragg, with another blow of his fist. "'And what's more, if Buck Vibbert stood afore me, ah, in this ere very room, I'd prove my words.' Hm, said the red-headed man. "'They do say as he's wonderful quick with his mowlies "'and can hit like a sledgehammer. "'Quick with his hands he may be, "'and I better give a goodish thump, "'but as for beating me, "'it's all me, I, and Betty Martin. "'And you can lay to that, my lads. "'I would put him to sleep any time and anywhere, "'and I'd like, ah, I'd like to see the cove "'as says contrary.' "'And here the pugilist scowled round upon his hearers.' more especially the red-headed man, so blackly that one or two of them shuffled uneasily, and the latter individual appeared to become interested in the lock of his pistol. "'I'd like,' repeated Craig, "'ah, I'd like to see the covers says contrary.' "'No one ain't a-goin' to, Tom,' says the one-eyed man, soothingly. "'Not a soul, Lord bless you.' "'I only wish they would,' growled Craig. "'Ain't there nobody to oblige the gentleman?' inquired the red-headed man. "'I'd fight any man as ever was born. "'Wish I may die,' snorted Cragg. "'You always was so fiery, Tom,' purred the one-eyed man, blinking his pale orb. "'I were,' cried the prize-fighter, working himself into another age. "'Ah, and I'm proud of it. "'I'd fight any man as ever wore breeches. "'Why, burn me, I'd give any man ten shillings "'as could stand up to me for ten minutes.' Ten shillings?' said I to myself. Ten shillings, when one comes to think of it, is a very handsome sum, more especially when one is penniless and destitute. "'Wish I may die!' roared Cragg, smiting his fist down on the table again. "'A guinea! A golden guinea to the man as could stand on his pins and fight for me for five minutes! And as for Buck Vibbert, curse him, I say as he won on a foul!' "'A guinea,' said I to myself, "'is a fortune!' and setting down my empty tankard, I crossed the room and touched Cragg upon the shoulder. "'I will fight you,' said I, "'for a guinea.' Now, as the fellow's eyes met mine, he rose up out of his chair, and his mouth opened slowly. But he spoke no word, backing from me until he was stayed by the table, where he stood staring at me. And once again there fell a silence, in which I heard the tick of the clock in the corner, and the crackle of the logs upon the hearth. "'You,' said he, recovering himself with an effort, "'you!' And as he spoke I saw his left eyelid twitch suddenly. "'Exactly,' I answered. "'I think I can stand up to even you for five minutes.' Now as I spoke he winked at me again. That it was meant for me was certain, seeing that his back was towards the others. Though what he intended to convey I could form no idea. So I assumed as confident an air as possible and waited. Hereupon the one-eyed man broke into a sudden raucous laugh, in which the others joined. "'Ock to him, lads!' he cried, pointing to me with the stem of his pipe. "'He be a fine to stand up to Tom Craig, I don't think.' "'Tell him to go and learn himself to grow whiskers first. cried a second. "'Eh, to be sure, he aren't got so much as our old cat,' <laughs> grinned a third. "'Stay!' cried the one-eyed man, peering up at me beneath his hand. "'Is these whiskers a-peepin' at me over his cravat, or do my eyes deceive me?' 
which pleasantry called forth another roar of laughter at my expense. Now, very foolishly, perhaps, this nonsense greatly exasperated me, for I was, at the time, painfully conscious of my bare lips and chin. It was, therefore, with an effort that I mastered my quickly rising temper, and once more addressed myself to Cragg. "'I am willing,' said I, "'to accept your conditions and fight you, for a guinea, or any other man here, for that matter, except the humorous gentleman with the watery eye, who can name his own price.' The fellow in question stared at me, glanced slowly round, and, sitting down, buried his face in his tankard. "'Come, Tom Cragg,' said I, "'a while ago you seemed very anxious for a man to fight. Well, I'm your man.' And with the words I stripped off my coat and laid it across a chair-back. This apparent willingness on my part was but a cloak for my real feelings, for I will not here disguise the fact that the prospect before me was anything but agreeable. Indeed, my heart was thumping in a most unpleasant manner, and my tongue and lips had become strangely parched and dry as I fronted Cragg. Truly, he looked dangerous enough, with his beetling brow, his great depth of chest, and massive shoulders, and the possibility of a black eye or so, and a general pounding from the fellow's knotted fists, was daunting in the extreme. Still, the chance of earning a guinea— even under such conditions, was not to be lightly thrown away. Therefore I folded my arms, and waited with as much resolution as I could. "'Sir,' said Cragg, speaking in a very altered tone, "'sir, you seem uncommon eager for it.' "'I shall be glad to get it over,' said I. "'If,' um, he went on slowly, "'if I said anything against uh, you-know-who,' I'm sorry for it, me uh, having the greatest respect for, uh, you know who, you understand me, I think? And herewith he winked three separate and distinct times. No, I don't understand you in the least, said I, nor do I think it at all necessary. All that I care about is the guinea in question. Come, Tom, cried one of the company, knock his head off to begin with. Hey, shut about it, Tom, cut your gab and finish him and here came the clatter of chairs as the company rose. "'Can't be done,' said Cragg, shaking his head. "'Leastways not here.' "'I'm not particular,' said I. "'If you prefer, we might manage it very well in the stable with a couple of lanterns.' "'The barn would be the very place,' suggested the landlord, bustling eagerly forward and wiping his hands on his apron. "'The very place. Plenty of room and nice and soft to fall on.' If you would only put off your fight until tomorrow, we might cry it through the villages. It would be a big draw. A card we might make a purse of twenty pound, if only you would. Think it over. Think it over. Tomorrow I hope to be a good distance from here, said I. Come, the sooner it is over the better. Show us your barn. So the landlord called for lanterns and led the way to a large outbuilding at the back of the inn, into which we all trooped. "'It seems to be a good place and very suitable,' said I. "'You may well say that,' returned the landlord. "'It's many a fine bout has been brought off in here. "'The time Jam Belcher beat the young ruffian, "'the Prince of Wales sat in a chair over in that there corner. "'And that was a day, if you please.' "'If Tom Cragg is ready,' said I, "'turning up the wristbands of my shirt, "'why, so am I.' "'Here it was found, to everyone's surprise, "'and mine in particular,' that Tom Cragg was not in the barn.
surprise gave place to noisy astonishment when after much running to and fro it was further learned that he had vanished altogether the inn itself the stables and even the haylofts were ransacked without avail tom cragg was gone as completely as though he had melted into thin air and with him all my hopes of winning the guinea and a comfortable bed it was with all my old dejection upon me therefore that i returned to the tap-room and refusing the officious aid of the one-eyed man put on my coat readjusted my knapsack and crossed to the door on the threshold i paused and looked back if said i glancing round the ring of faces if there is any man here who is at all willing to fight for a guinea ten shillings or even five i should be very glad of the chance to earn it but seeing how each wilfully avoided my eye held his peace i sighed and turning my back upon them set off along the darkening road book one chapter seven of the further puzzling behavior of tom cragg the pugilist evening had fallen and i walked along in no very happy frame of mind the more so as the rising wind and flying rack of clouds above through which a watery moon had peeped at fitful intervals seemed to presage a wild night it needed but this to make my misery the more complete for as far as i could tell if i slept at all and i was already very weary it must of necessity be beneath some hedge or tree as i approached the brow of the hill i suddenly remembered that i must once more pass the gibbet and began to strain my eyes for it presently i spied it sure enough its grim gaunt outline looming through the murk and instinctively i quickened my stride so as to pass it as soon as might be i was almost abreast of it when a figure rose from beneath it and slouched into the road to meet me i stopped there and then and grasping my heavy staff waited its approach be that you sir said a voice and i recognized the voice of tom cragg what are you doing and there of all places oh i ain't afeard of him answered cragg jerking his thumb towards the gibbet i ain't afeard of none as ever drawed breath dead or livin except it be his highness the prince regent and what do you want with me i hopes as there's no offence my lord said he knuckling his forehead and speaking in a tone that was a strange mixture of would-be comradeship and cringing servility cragg is my name and cragg is my nature but i know when i'm beat i knowed ye as soon as i laid my peepers on ye and if i said it were a foul why when a man's in his cups do you see he's apt to shoot rather wide of the gospel do you see and there was no offence my lord strike me blind i know you and you know me tom cragg by name and craggy by but i don't know you said i and for that matter neither do you know me why he ain't got no whiskers my lord leastways not with you now but and what the devil has that got to do with it said i angrily disguises p'raps said the fellow with a sly leer arter that theer kidnappin' and me avin laid out sir jasper trent in wick street according to your orders me lord the prince gave me words to clear out caught and run for it till it blowed over and i thought p'raps knowin as you and him had had words um, i thought as you had uh, caught stick too and i think 
that you are manifestly drunk said i if you still wish to fight for any sum no matter how small put up your hands if not get out of my road the craggy one stepped aside somewhat hastily which done he removed his hat and stood staring and scratching his bullet head as one in sore perplexity i see no many rum goes in my time said he but i never see so rummy a go as this here strike me dead so i left him and strode on down the hill as i went the moon shot out a feeble ray through some rift in the rolling clouds and looking back i saw him standing where i had left him beneath the gibbet still scratching his bullet head and staring after me down the hill now the whole attitude and behavior of the fellow was puzzling to no small degree my mind was too full of my own concerns to give much thought to him indeed scarce was he out of my sight but i forgot him altogether for what with my weariness the long dark road before and behind me and my empty pockets i became a prey to great dejection so much so that i presently sank wearily beside the way and resting my chin in my hands sat there miserably enough watching the night deepen about me and yet said i to myself if as epictetus says to despise a thing is to possess it then am i rich for i have always despised money and if weary as i am i can manage to condemn the luxury of a feather bed then to-night lying in this grassy ditch beneath the stars i shall slumber as sweetly as ever i did between the snowy sheets saying which i rose and began to look about for some likely nook in the hedge where i might pass the night i was thus engaged when i heard the creak of wheels and the pleasant rhythmic jingle of harness on the dark hill above and in a little while a great wagon or wain piled high with hay hove into view the driver of which rolled loosely in his seat with every jolt of the wheels so that it was a wonder he did not roll off altogether as he came level with me i hailed him loudly whereupon he started erect and brought his horses to a stand hello he bellowed in the loud strident tone of one rudely wakened what do you want with i a lift i answered will you give a tired fellow a lift on his way what i don't know be you a talkin chap i don't think so said i because if you be a talkin chap i bean't a goin to give you a lift no how not if i knows it give a chap a lift t other day i did took him up to other side of seven oaks and he talked me up bill and down hill he did dang me if i could get a wink o sleep all the way to tonbridge so if you're a talkin chap you don't get no lift with i i am generally a very silent chap said i besides i am too tired and sleepy to talk even if i wished sleepy yawned the man then up you get my chap i'm sleepy too i always am lord love you there's naught like sleep up with you my chap forthwith up i clambered and laying myself down among the fragrant hay stretched out my tired limbs and sighed never shall i forget the delicious sense of restfulness that stole over me as i lay there upon my back listening to the creak of the wheels the deliberate hoof-strokes of the horses muffled in the thick dust of the road and the gentle snore of the driver who had promptly fallen asleep again on he went as if borne on air so soft was my bed 
now beneath the far-flung branches of trees, sometimes so low that I could have touched them with my hand, now beneath a sky heavy with sombre masses of flying cloud, or bright with the soft radiance of the moon. On I went, careless alike of destination, of time, and of future, content to lie there upon the hay and rest. And so, lulled by the gentle movement, by the sound of wheels and harness, and the whisper of the soft wind about me, I presently fell into a most blessed sleep. End of section three.